We behaved like a TV show, like in the prior two readings where we said, oh, you have to come listen to the next episode to find out what happens to Thomas Merton and his girlfriend. And then we we said you had to listen to the next one, and then we would get the answer, but you didn't get the answer. And then you had to listen to the third one. It's really misleading and deceptive. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well... We were trying to provoke the listeners. But we weren't trying, it just turned out that way. If you want to find out what happened, you'll have to listen again. <laughs> so, we're continuing in the journals of Thomas Merton. Uh, well, last reading we had heard about the Silver Dagger. Joan Baez song. Now we come to June 19, 1966, Saturday late. I went to bed like a good little monk at 8 o'clock, but could not sleep, arm hurting, back hurting, heart empty and desolate. I lay there thinking, and thinking some more, obsessed with the idea that M might conceivably find her way out here, though she has never seen the place and could not possibly find it in the dark. If only there was a soft door, knock on the door. So weak. Did you ever think that? Did you ever think to yourself, if only there was a soft knock on the door? Did you ever want me to come knock on the door? And I opened it, and it was she standing on the porch. Hmm. If only there were a soft knock on the door, and I opened it, and it was she standing on the porch. Finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. Got up, put on my clothes on, and started wandering around. <laughs> Did you ever pace, like, hoping that I would come? <laughs> Or your boyfriend, a better boyfriend, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. You hope the better boyfriend would come instead of me. <laughs> Started wandering around for a moment. I had a strong desire to start down to the monastery, sneak into the office again, and make another phone call. But I... This is before cell phones, obviously. It's 1966. But I don't even know where she is in Louisville or where. Perhaps she has gone home for the weekend. I no longer have any idea what she is doing and have no way of finding out. Huh. Hmm. Goodness. Well, went out on the porch... Nothing silence. Vast silence of the woods full of fireflies, the stars. Down in the south, the huge sign of the scorpion. The red eye of Regulus, just stars. Not a light from any house or farm. Only fireflies and stars and silence. <clears throat> wow. A car racing by the road. Then more silence. Nothing, nothing. <clears throat> When a car goes by, you can feel the alien frenzy of it. Hmm. Do you think a car sound is an alien frenzy? Has an alien frenzy? No. 
Are cars aliens? <laughs> Do you consider a car an alien? <clears throat> Someone madly going somewhere for no reason. Do you feel that they're going madly somewhere for no reason? When you're from the perspective of an enlightened, totally enlightened mystic? No. Because you believe they should just stay home in place and meditate? And they could... Why would they be going anywhere? Do you feel everybody on the road is in a mad frenzy going nowhere for no yeah, reason? I, I mean, we don't always have a good reason to go anywhere. I mean, we go out to the juice bar. It's not really necessary. I am a complete prisoner under these stars. It's not necessary if you can not eat for forty days. Yeah. Or I'm a complete prisoner under these stars with nothing, or perhaps with everything. I sit on the porch, deliberately refuse to rationalize anything, to explain anything, or to comment on anything. Only on what is there, I am there. Fireflies, stars, darkness. The massive shadows of the woods, the vague dark valley, and nothing, nothing, nothing. Do you feel there's nothing when I'm gone? <laughs> really? But I thought you could have everything with the stars and everything, and you have all those stars in your art, so. I had all those before you were. Well. Is she thinking of me? I'm going to have the stars again. I'm not going to have it. Not? Maybe I'll have the stars. I'll go back to the stars again. Is she thinking of me? Loving me? Is her heart calling to mine in the dark? I don't know. I can't honestly say that I know. Carl, yes, I can be so naive. He's, uh, he, he knows she loves him. Can't you feel... Does he know that she will suffer more than him if he suffers? Don't you feel how upset I get when we have a fight? Or you don't have any feelings at all? <laughs> there must be some feelings. <laughs> I can't honestly say that I know anything except that it is late, that I can't sleep, that there are fireflies all over the place and that there is not the remotest possibility of making any poetic statement on this. You don't write poems about nothing. How do you write poems on nothing? And yet somehow this nothing seems to be everything. I look at this out sky and some, for some ungodly reason. Please write a poem about the void instead. Can you write a poem about nothing? I wrote about the void. The void is nothing. No, you're kind of exceptional, though. The huh. void is very... It's hmm. more than anything else, so... Uh, for which there is no reason everything is complete. <laughs> I think of going back to bed in peace without knowing why. A peace that cannot be satisfied by anything, by any reason... Any proof, any argument, for by any supposition. There are no suppositions left, only fireflies. Hmm. There's only fireflies. Only it's basically, only thing happening is fireflies. Only fireflies. Hmm. 
I kneel down by the bed and look up at the icon of the nativity. The soft shaded light plays over the shelves of Buddhist books on the silent bedroom. Why couldn't he just be happy with his shelf of Buddhist books? <laughs> hmm. I want to tell you something, but I don't know how to begin to say it. I am afraid. I believe that uh, God made mm -hmm. Eve for it. Made Eve? Because it was necessary for uh -huh. Adam. Mm -hmm. So she, she should be able well, to also be with my... my uh, what's her name? Maria. They made some yeah. sort of sort of angle where they're not entirely satisfied without some woman. <laughs> um, well, how else would you get population development? <laughs> I am afraid that if I start talking and writing, I will confuse everything. Nothing needs to be said. Hmm. He doesn't have anything to say about it. He has the feelings, but Maybe he's going to try to let it go. What do you think he's going to do? We're in biography class here. And as preparation for this, we read 100 biographies, which included a romance and recruited love and a love decision and, and a, an attempt to try to learn how to deal with women. <laughs> but... Which would be better if I have a hundred different girlfriends and try to learn to deal with them, or have a hundred different books which have a romance in them and try to understand it? Neither one. Neither? Or should I just become devoted to the Virgin Mary? Come on, leave me. Leave me. God's out of there. Uh, nonsense, nonsense. June 20th, 1966. Finally got five hours of sleep or so. At the end, I was dreaming that I was being hazed by Jesuits in a sort of initiation into a fraternity into which I had no desire to be initiated. I can't remember details of the dream, only that I seemed to be mixed up with a lot of people with whom I had nothing in common, that they resented me, and that they were trying to ridicule and discredit me. I was thinking, how did I get mixed up in all this? He could easily get discredited by his girlfriend, you know, by his relationship, for all his... People may discredit him. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, he's quite valuable. Mm. But in the one, he wasn't discredited because we're reading his book currently. <laughs> solitude as act. The reason no one really understands solitude or bothers to try to understand it is that it appears to be nothing but a condition, something one elects to undergo, like standing under a cold shower. <laughs> Dare you think choosing to solitude is like standing under a cold shower? <laughs> Not really. It's a condition that you choose Somehow to under. You don't like cold water. Maybe. You elect to undergo. Because it uh, squeezes you. But I do stand under a cold shower. Why do I do it? And you're not alone. 
Uh, it's now, uh, now... You have me screaming, get out of the shower. A lot of people stand under the cold shower because it supposedly um, strengthens your immune system. Depends. But the warm shower relaxes you. And people elect to solitude for a similar reason. It may help somehow improve their somethingness. <laughs> Actually, solitude is the realization and actualization, even a kind of creation, as well as a liberation of active forces within us. Forces that are more than our own, yet more ours than what appears. To be ours. Well, we are more than appears to be ours, because <laughs> maybe there maybe uh, give space for God to appear. <laughs> As a mere condition, solitude can be passive, inert, and basically unreal—a kind of permanent coma. So, is it a cold shower or a permanent coma, <laughs> or is it? Uh, <laughs> One has to work at it to keep out of this condition. One has to work actively at solitude. Do we need to work actively at solitude? In a way, in a way, when you meditate, you're working. When you're scheduling meditation, you're working actively at solitude. In a way. When I paint, I'm not solitary. I'm never alone. You're never alone. But I paint. Oh, well, that's a different thing. Work actively at solitude not by putting fences around oneself, but by destroying all fences and throwing away all the disguises, getting down to the naked root of one's inmost desire, which is the desire of liberty, free reality. To be free from the illusion that reality creates what one is out of one is out of right relation to it and to be real in the freedom which reality gives when one is rightly related to it. Huh. Hence, the need for discipline, for some kind of technique of integration that keeps body and soul together, harmonize, harmonizes their powers, brings them into one deep resonance, orients the whole being towards the root of being, the need for a way. Presence, invocation, mantra, concentration, emptiness, all these are aspects of a realized solitude. Mere being alone is nothing. Or at least it is only a potential. Sooner or later, he who is merely alone either rots or escapes. <clears throat> the active life can, in fact, be that which is most passive. One is simply driven, carried, batted around, and moved the most desperate illusion. And the most common one is just to fling oneself into the mass, which is in movement, and be carried along with it to be part of the stream of traffic going nowhere but with a great sense of phony purpose. <laughs> we could throw ourselves into traffic, just get on the highway and go somewhere. You can still be alone if you are walking among other people. If you are alone, if you feel alone, we can walk alone and not be alone. It is against this that I revolt, because I revolt. My life at first must take on an aspect of total meaninglessness, the revenge of the social superego. 
The perception of the absurd. Freedom begins with the full acceptance of the absurd, the willingness to realize and experience one's life as totally absurd in relation to the apparent meaning that has been thrown over life by society by illusion. But the experience of this absurdity is again only a potential, only a starting point for a deeper realization. The realization that root reality in myself and in all life, which I do not know and cannot know. This implies the capacity to see that realizing and knowing are not the same. In realization, the reality one grasps and by which one is grasped is actualized in oneself and one becomes what one realizes. One is what one realizes. Knowing is just a matter of registering that something is objectively verifiable whether one bothers to verify it or not. Realization is not verification, but isness. Is what? Isness. What is isness? Isness. 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 Like isness. I-S-N-E-S-S. Isness. Isness. Can you ask Alexa? No, that's... can't. It's beingness, like in philosophy. Solitude is necessary for this isness. Alexa, what isness means? A museum is an institution. You can't pronounce it. It's not pronounceable. Or scientific. Alexa, stop. Alexa, what the word I S N N E S means? No. It's not right. <laughs> she can't get it. Right. Alexa, what is the definition of the word I-S-N-E-S-S? Isness is usually defined as the quality of being, existence as something. All right, there you go. Solitude is necessary for this isness or quality of being, and solitude itself is the fullness of realization. In solitude, I become fully able to realize what I cannot know. What does the lonely and absurd man have to teach others? Simply that being alone and absurd are not things to be feared. But these are precisely the two things that everybody fears. They spend all their time reassuring themselves that they make sense. That they are not ridiculous, that they are acceptable, desirable, valuable, and that they will never have to regard themselves as really alone. In other words, they plunge into the reassuring stream of illusions that is created by all the other people like themselves. <laughs> A great common work, a liturgy, in which everyone agrees publicly to say that in these terms everything is real and makes sense. The terms are not, however, satisfactory. Everybody remains secretly absurd and alone. Only no one dares face the fact, yet facing this fact is the absolutely essential requirement for beginning to live freely. My apostolate... Huh... You know, I don't even know what that apostolate. Alexa, what is the definition of the word A-P-O-S-T-O-L-A-T-E? Apostolate is usually defined as the dignity or office of an apostle. For Hmm. more, ask me to give you more definitions for apostolate. The office of, of his apostleness. 
That's like his. Like he is like apostle is like yeah, discipleship, he's, maybe. He's, he he himself uh, he's part mm. being an apostle in a way. He is an apostle. I mean, he's a god. I mean, everybody's a god. You respect that. Well, he but is a the, he is a monk. A I mean, he's a religious man. Oh, apostolate! It's a Greek word. Apostolate is the the what? Your the destiny in a way. Well, apostolate. It's what you you send to do. Well, I'm confused as what's an apostle as being. Um, is he like a holy man? Or? Well, the apostles are the oh. disciples of Jesus. All right. You know. Well, he's a disciple of Jesus, my apostolate, my discipleship of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's a disciple. To realize that my life is absurd and not to care to teach others that they do not have to care. But this has not been clear, for in fact I have spent too much time and effort in convincing others and even myself that all this makes sense. My work is in fact invalid, insofar as it seems to make sense and insofar as it seems to say that solitude is something to be desired. One, of course, has to make some kind of sense. I do not deny that I want to write coherently in accord with a basic realization but merely to spell out a logical message, or worse still, a sales pitch for something sp spiritual, something religious, something interior, or worse still, monastic. What a total waste. More than half my life and work has been wasted in this kind of thing. He wasted half of his life. He hates monastic now. He hates monasticism? Is he going to quit? I don't. Is he going to go off with his girlfriend? <laughs> this is the question I ask in biography class. <laughs> what should I do, dear? Should I quit the monastery? <laughs> and go off with my girlfriend? <laughs> June 22nd, 1966, Wednesday. I dreamt in several different ways of trying to contact M. I cannot remember what the dreams were, only that the last one before I woke up was that I was sending a child to the hospital to tell her that I loved her. I realized this was most unsatisfactory, but there was nothing else I could do. I was aware that the child would just go in and say, he told me today he loves you, in an embarrassed sort of way, and walk out again. Do you have any more bread? Hmm. Or, um, you want bread? I don't know. Maybe not, but. How about coffee? Hmm.
We're reading from the Intimate Merton with the editor's brother, Patrick Hart, a monk of Gethsemane and the general editor of the journals, edited volumes 1 and 7 of the Merton journals. Jonathan Montaldo, the director of the Thomas Merton Center at Belmar Belmine College in Louisville, Kentucky, edited volume 2 of the Merton journals. Here he had a dream, and I thought you would want to interpret it. He says, Solitude is very similar to patience. June 2nd, 1966, Wednesday, I, I dreamt of several different ways of trying to contact M. I cannot remember what the dreams were, only that the last one, before I woke up, was that I was sending a child to the hospital to tell her that I loved her. I realized this was most unsatisfactory, but there was nothing else I could do. I'm aware that the child would just go in and say, quote, He told me today he loves you in an embarrassed sort of way, and walk out again. Oh, very huh? much he wanted to please here, and uh, a woman in a relationship, they still want to share a child with him, with uh, a man in a relationship, and the child. Talking of his love, in a way, and commitment. The child. Even if it is a commitment, not uh, uh, as, uh, as expected to be, it is just a... He says, I almost never dream of M as she is, but of someone who I instinctively know represents her. Yet this girl is different from my M. How does one explain this? Still, just when I wake up, the archetypical M and the reality merged together. She seems he doesn't dare to even dream of the real one because he's too... I think sometimes, I think sometimes when you're in love with a woman, like, in your mind, you you have one created in your mind and one that's the reality. Mm -mm. No, hmm. he just doesn't dare to dream of the real one. Hmm. The archetype is too strong. The M I love in the depths of my heart is not symbolic and not just the everyday M other. She is the deep, mysterious, personal, unique potential that is in her. The M that is trying to become free in my love and is clinging to me for love and help. Yet not that either because it is the insecure and unreal self in each of us that clings so hard to the other. When you cling to me, is it the unsecure, unreal self? Even that has to be qualified. It was basically right that she should want me to make love to her fully. And there is no question that I wanted to do this in my heart. Do you think he sinned in his heart? <laughs> want me to make love to her fully. Sort of wanted, uh, denied with her in a way. 
It was basically right that she should want me to make love to her fully, and there is no question that I wanted to do this in my heart. Yet, because for me, somehow the situation was all wrong. Psychologically and spiritually, it did not matter. Our love, at least as I see it, was and is so much the most is so much the important thing that the details do not make any difference. But precisely at this point, everything was cut short, bombed out, gutted. What should naturally have turned into a long, warm, slow-growing, sweet love expressed in all its depths has been amputated just when it was about to begin. I have no right to complain because I have committed myself to another kind of life. As for her, I at least told her over and over what was coming. But the result is cruel for us both. You said that you shouldn't have let her on. Huh? Yeah. The result is cruel. I am only just beginning yeah, to discover how cruel it really is. She also you know, she get entangled also. So the pain is his also. Somehow. I don't know. I cannot regard this as... He has a choice. I mean... And she had the choice to get involved with him, knowing she that did. she's... Uh, they both she have a choice, take, uh, huh? Take the plate, please. Hold the plate. Uh, doesn't have to run into the book. Hmm. So they both somehow uh, hmm. decided to take that, uh, to experience what was to be prepared to learn. I cannot regard this as just an episode. It is a profound event in my life and one that will have entered deeply into my heart to alter and transform my whole climate of thought and experience. Yes, it's going to get him old. Um, get him old? Yeah. It's going to get him old? Mm -hmm. <laughs> By old, I don't mean years, exactly. Mm. In, senses, in thought. Old in thought? In thought. Mm. It's like you're already over a, a major experience. So you, mm. you don't have the thought of the, any experience. Mm. Which is youth. Old age is the experience. In her, I now realize I have found something. Something that I had been looking for all my life. <laughs> I know, too, that she feels the same about me. No matter what happens, I think we will both always feel that this was and is something too deep and too real to be essentially changed. What we have found in each other will not be lost. Yet it will not be truly possessed either. Hence the awful loneliness deprivation, desolation of being without each other. Even though in our hearts we continue to love each other deeply, yet we are going to have to face the fact that we now go separate ways, and that is what I think neither of us is quite willing to face. Can we really go separate ways? In a sense, no. We have to travel together. They are together. They be together. Dear, uh, always be in his heart. Dear, and, and he in hers. 
Dear, if I was in the woods in a in a hut and I was thinking of somebody else, I was thinking of this girl and I would I would have to say I'm not in solitude and I might as well just go out. <laughs> don't don't stay in solitude unless you can be in it. <laughs> We have to travel together in our hearts as long as we live, she says. And she go out and realizes. When, when Maria was in the abbey, at, when we went back to the abbey, at, in the sound of music, the mother said she should go out and find out she should go out and find your dream mother somebody else who it doesn't happen to everyone so some exceptions they should be able to deal more she says she can never love anyone else. That moves me deeply and breaks my heart. Yet I know that she must someday love another because it would be inhuman to expect such a deprivation in anyone's life. As for me, I am supposed to be lonely and live alone and sleep alone, so I have no problem and no complaint. It is merely what I have chosen, and the choice is ratified over and over each day, even though I so vividly remember her body and long for her love. God. Hmm. Didn't write a single poem for her? Hmm. Didn't write, he did write a poem to her. Well, that's just because we don't have them doesn't mean he didn't write them. God, how long is this going to go on, this love affair? This is making this book a little too spicy for me. Last evening. Spicy? He should get back to his Zen work. He's got to read, study Zen. Last evening when Joe and John G. were leaving, I said jokingly, why not take me into Louisville with you? <laughs> Should we go pick him up, uh, his ghost, and take him to Louisville? Why not take me to Louisville with you? But I was not really joking. I was certainly, I would certainly have gone if they had taken it seriously. But the whole thing was so futile and so desperately silly. I know now that though I am drawn to this, it isn't what I should do. I am no longer the unknown kid that can do things like that. I do have a responsibility. Location is more than just a matter of being in a certain place and wearing a certain kind of costume. I know he had a vocation. There are too many people in the world who rely on the fact that I am serious about deepening an inner dimension of experience that they desire and is closed to them. It is not closed to me. This is a gift that has been given me, not for myself, but for everyone. 
even including him. Do you think we need him to to write these books so we can read them? Hmm. Hmm. I cannot let it be squandered and dissipated foolishly. It would be criminal to do so. In the end, I would ruin her along with myself. Uh -huh. God, the guy's ruminating over the girl. It is a cool, brilliant morning. The birds sing. The valley is full of sunlit mist. The tall fury. Daylilies are opening to the sun. June sun. I know I am where I belong. The books and papers are on the table, and work is waiting. I know the poets I must read. <laughs> Do we have a whole bunch of poets we must read? Yesterday, for the first time, really got into Louis Zukofsky, who is certainly one of the great classic poets of all time. <laughs> we don't even know who he is. Great magistry, richness, and structure. Uh, Alexa, who is Louis Zukofsky? Louis Zukofsky was an American poet. He was one of the founders and the primary theorist of the objectivist group of poets and thus an important influence on subsequent generations of poets in America and abroad. Zukofsky was born in New York City's Lower East Side to Lithuanian Jewish parents, Father Pinchos and Mother Hannah, both religiously orthodox a tradition against which Zukofsky reacted early. Does he know I know his poems? Ask it. I know I have to read and understand and think and grasp and experience. This is easy and delightful to me. I have a rich life, but built on the central cost of cruel deprivation. I got it. That, that cruelty burns into my heart at times like a brand, but I know that I am not in a position to choose another kind of richness that of love and living with M. I can have her love in a deep and lasting, very fruitful form as long as it is part of my solitude. <laughs> if I try to take it on other terms, the wall will crumble. She has desperately refused to believe this and has in her own silent and womanly way challenged me on it and tried to force the issue. The issue cannot be forced. Oh, goodness. Hmm. What do I fear most? Forgetting? Ignorance of the inmost truth of my being? To forget who I am, to be lost in what I am not? To fail my own inner truth and to get carried away in what is not true to me? What is outside me? What imposes itself on me from the outside? But what is this? I can take manifold forms, I must fear and distrust them all, yet I cannot help being to some extent influenced by what is outside me, and hence I must accept that influence to some extent, but always in such a way that it increases my awareness, my remembrance, my understanding, instead of diminishing these. I should go out, yeah. Let's stop then. Huh. Yeah, and you like to not think about uh, it. So loud, yeah, I like, seems I like love, right? Yeah. I'm looking for any excuse to get out of the monastery. I'm, I'm trying to have an affair with this girl, I think. You think I'm trying to get out of the monastery and 
go out with her? Hmm. Should I go out with Should I go out with a a woman in my imagination in a book, or go out with a real one, or should I just? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have it here. I got to Let me stop this uh, um, reading. Okay. Let me. What do I fear most? Forgetting ignorance of the inmost truth of my being, to forget who I am, to be lost in what I am not, to fail my own inner truth, to get carried away in what is not true to me. What is outside me, what imposes itself on me from the outside. But what is this? It can take manifold forms. I must fear and distrust them all, yet I cannot help being to some extent influenced by what is outside me. And hence, I must accept that influence to some extent, but always in such a way that it increases my awareness, my remembrance, my understanding, instead of Diminishing these. Uh -huh. Fear of ignorance in the sense of avidya. The ignorance that is based on the acceptance of an illusion about myself. The ignorance that comes from the decision to regard my ego as my full, complete, real self and to work to maintain this illusion against the call of secret truth that rises up within me, that is evoked within me by others, by love by vocation, by providence, by suffering, by God. The ignorance that hardens the shell that makes the inner core of selfhood determined to resist the call of truth that would dissolve it. The ignorance that hardens in desire and willfulness or in conformity or in hate or in various refusals of other people. Various determinations to be, quote, right at any price, unquote. The Vietnam War is a clear example of the American people's insistence on in refusing to see human truth. Fear of ignorance that comes from clinging to a stupid ideal. Fear of ignorance that comes from submersion in the body. In surrender to the need for comfort and consolation, yet at the same time, one must not fear the possibility of relative lucidity in all these things, provided they are understood. There is a little lucidity in love, a little lucidity in alcohol, a little lucidity in religion, but there is also the danger of being engulfed more or less easily in all of these, all of this. The great fear is the fear of surrendering to sham lucidity and to the Quote, one source, unquote, theory of lucidity, clinging to one kind of affirmation and excluding everything else and sinking back into ignorance and superstition. One of the worst sources of delusion is, of course, an exclusive attachment to supposed logic and to reason. Worse still, when the logic and reason are centered on what claims to be a religious truth, this can be as deep a source of blindness as any in the world, sex included. One always has to distinguish and go beyond. One has to question reason in order to get to the deeper awareness of reality that is built into life itself. 
What I fear is living in such a way that life becomes opaque and one-sided, centered on one thing only, the illusion of the self. Everything else has to be defined in relation to this kind of ignorance. Once this is understood, you can understand what makes me run, not only run in the sense of escape, but run in the sense of tick. What runs and what ticks is, however, no longer important. What is important is that life itself should be lucid in me, whoever I am. I am nothing but the lucidity that is in me. To be a quake and dense with opinion and with, with passion, with need, with hate, with power, is to be not there, to be absent, to non-exist. The labor of convincing myself that this non-existing is a real presence, this is the source of all falsity and suffering. This is hell on earth and hell is hell, hell and hell. This is the hell I have to keep out of. The price of keeping out of it is that the moment I give in to any of it, I feel the anguish of falsity. But to extinguish the feeling of anguish in any way whatsoever, short of straight lucidity, is to favor ignorance and non-existence. This is my central fear and it defines my task in life. June 23, 1966. What will I be without her? What will she be without me? First of all, we cannot really be without each other anymore. There is something completely permanent and irrevocable in our lives, the love that we have known in each other that has changed us that will remain with us in a hidden and transfigured figuring presence. Derby Day is always beautiful. <laughs> Quote, Derby Day is always beautiful, unquote. The beautiful day of our love, love's creation in our lives, will remain as the day in which we most deeply live and walk together. I will never be without the mysterious transcendent presence of her essential self, which began to speak to me so stirringly and so beautifully those early mornings in May, between sleeping and waking. She will always be to me her soft voice speaking out of the depths of my own heart, saying that the central reality of all is found in our love that no one can touch and no one can alter. I have needed this love, and being without it is something I cannot yet grasp. That is being without the chance to see her at all, frankly. If things were not what they were, I can see that it would be terribly right and important for me to change everything and live the rest of my life with her. For a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, that is what should have been. But that was impossible, hence all the ambiguities that follow. To be without her is to be deprived of a central meaning in my life. <clears throat> it, would, it is to remain incomplete and to some extent maimed. <clears throat> but also I probably could not have copied, uh, coped fully with the problems that would have arisen from our Social situation, anyway, what is, is. 
1966, Friday. The night did not turn out to be as hot as I feared. I slept more or less, began waking up around one, dreamt a series of dreams that were more or less about the community. For instance, I am at the Hermitage, and down in the valley are some people, monks, who are trying to signal to me by semiphone. Semaphore. Wig wagging and whatnot. I do not know how to read the message. I make helpless gestures about not knowing the rules. I don't really don't care that much. I just want to show. I would like to be in communication with them if it were possible. Later I dreamt of the abbot and Father Flavian, my confessor. We are walking around more or less friendly and open to each other, talking pleasantly about the hermit life and its possibilities. <clears throat> in the last analysis, what I am looking for in solitude is not happiness or fulfillment, but salvation. Not my own salvation, but the salvation of everybody. Here is where the game gets serious. I have used the word revolt in connection with solitude. Revolt against what? Against a notion of salvation that gets people lost. A notion of a salvation that is entirely legal and extrinsic can be achieved no matter how false, no matter how shriveled and fruitless one's inner life really is. This, this is the worst ambiguity, the impression that one can be grossly unfaithful to life, to experience, to love, to other people, and to one's own deepest self, and yet be quote, saved by an act of stupid conformity, by the will, by the will to be correct. In the end, this seems to me to be fatally like the very act of by which one is lost, the, termina the termination to be right at all costs by dint of hardening one's core around an arbitrary choice of a fixed position. To close in on one's central wrongness with the refusal to admit that it might be wrong. That is one of the reasons why solitude is a dangerous thing. One may use it for that purpose. I don't think I can. I am not that stubborn. I am here for one thing. To be open, to be not closed in on any one choice to the exclusion of all others, to be open to God's will and freedom, to his love, which comes to save me from all in myself that resist him and says no to him. This I must do not to justify myself, not to be right, not to be good, but because the whole world of lost people needs this opening by which salvation can get into it through me. Friday evening. It is usually a joy to finish a book. I am not able to finish this one and am not going to. Anyway, who says this is the end of it? I don't. If I made a point of finishing this, which does not need to be finished, it will look too much like goodbye. I don't want it even to look like that. I do not even want to think of that. Let us just say that our friendship and our love have gone into a new phase. I find myself back at the beginning. It is exactly three months since the operation. 
Tomorrow was the 25th, and the operation was on the 25th of March. Have we gone three months of uh, coronavirus now? It's March, about March 25th to May 25th. Mm -hmm. To June 20th, March, whatever. I will never forget the morning of March 31st. I will never forget the Wednesday and Holy Week, that rainy night, when you came in before going to Chicago, and we were too tongue-tied to say what we almost knew. And the night after when, that when I lay awake and realized that I loved you. And that good Friday when I decided to leave a note for you to write me. How glad I am that I did that. And your first letter with its opening, and my letter impulsive and intense, which began everything. How glad I am that all these things took place. How glad I am that they led to such wonderful days together. Such beautiful letters from you. All the phone calls that finally got me in trouble, as I expected. What about the future? Who knows? But I cling to one hope that future morning in heaven, which the morning of March 31st prefigured. That is the beautiful day I live for. The rest is nothing but time to pass until the real morning comes. I am not patient. I don't expect you will be either. Hmm. June 30th, 1966. Sapfer, Gahor, Gahor, Sam, Sapfer. To offer oneself to God as a sacrifice of obedience and faith. This is the crucial point. Too much emphasis on one's own truth, on one's own authentic freedom. One forgets the limitations and restrictions of this my own. Tendency to take my own truth and freedom as unlimited, ultimate, in my own case. This is a total loss, paradox, and only God's truth is ultimately my truth. There is not one truth for me, another for my neighbor, and another for God. And only God's will is my freedom. When they appear to be opposed, am I acting freely? Quote, Blessed are the pure in heart who leave everything to God now as they did before they ever existed, unquote, Eckhart. This is what I have to get back to. It is coming to the surface again, as Eckhart was my life raft in the hospital. So now also he seems the best link to restore continuity by obedience to God, begetting his love in me, which has never stopped. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. I guess we'll continue in the next reading <laughs> where he's going to listen to Bob Dylan and think about his girlfriend again some more. <laughs> in the next reading, I give glimpses of the next... Uh, the next podcast, we're going to listen to Bob Dylan's song, I Want You. 
he still wants M. <laughs> so, I don't know where we're going. You have to listen to the next podcast uh, to find out. To listen to Bob Dylan. <laughs> now we'll end here. <laughs> hmm.